Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. Is this some kind of podcast? No. It's the stuff that dreams are made of. It's Mike and Mike go to the movies. <laughs> My name is Mike Smith and joining me as always is a man who asked that when I bring him out, uh, can I introduce him as a man who brought the blues to Britain and Liverpool to America? <laughs> Mike Derichio. How are you doing today, Mike? I am doing great. Uh, here we are, uh, another quarantine uh, bonus special. Uh, but I talked about on uh, the latest episode of Goldblum Pod, we record these uh, things back to back. So yes, I do. still have had pizza for dinner today. That's a big <laughs> win in my book. So I'm going to count, count, you know, gonna take that for what it's worth. Yeah, there you go. I mean, the, as far as, you know, world news goes, maybe things aren't so great. But pizza did happen in your household this afternoon. And, you know, there's that. It's the little victories. Yeah. You know, I should tell you that a, a new New York style pizza place just opened up in Missoula, Montana. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, called Hetty's. And uh, it's actually pretty good. It's pretty close to uh, to what wow. New York pizza actually is. Uh, that's been like my big battle here in Missoula over the last couple of years is trying to find pizza that I like. Uh, because, right. you know, I'm a New York snob and I only like New York pizza. Uh, well, obviously. <laughs> uh, and there is like there's a good pizza place around the corner from my house. Bridge Pizza, which is like kind of an artisan place. And, you know, it's it's good, a little inconsistent, but it's good. It's one of the only places in town that does pizza by the slice. Uh, there's Pie Hole, which what? is like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I know. No, pizza by the slice, not a guarantee if you're outside of New York. Just that's <laughs> fucked up. That out there. I know it's weird uh, because it's so easy to do. <laughs> you just right. cut the pizza. Um, <laughs> but so Bridge Pizza, one of the only places that does pizza by the slice. Uh, Pie Hole, which is downtown, is also kind of a pizza by the slice place. And that's like where all the drunk kids go, like after, mm. you know, 2 a.m. type thing. You've been partying all night yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but now Hetty's has opened up and it's this brand new kind of New York style pizzeria. Uh, it's these guys who like went to pizza school in Staten Island and they like <laughs> went like went to all the pizza masters and they get, the, get all their ingredients from the East Coast and that kind of thing. So it actually tastes like real New York pizza. Uh, so nice. I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, speaking of pizza um, elsewhere I'm, in the I'm world, glad. things are less good. <laughs> Yeah, not so great. Uh, we're in the middle yep. of some uh, some turbulent times here, and but we got we got some uh, silly movies to talk about, and maybe maybe keep our minds off the bad stuff for an hour. I mean, that's that's the hope, and uh, you know we're we're gonna try to like you know do some fun silly stuff. It's tough to do that, I think, at this point. In yeah, time. Uh, because you know there's so much occupying our minds, and we're seeing everything going on. Uh, we urge people not to just ignore it and just dive right into the goofy stuff like you know have self-care do the goofy stuff of course um but do what you can to help out uh with the people who are protesting and everything like that uh as to further the cause of black lives matter we've posted uh, a lot of links over at uh our twitter account uh at mike and mike pod uh which has it's basically one link with like a master list of different donation places you can donate and things like that for bail funds and things like that yeah yeah there's plenty of charities it's pinned on our on our twitter page uh yeah and there's lots of charities uh and bail funds and there's one uh one that's super useful that it's a single donation link that will spread your donation out over, I think, 37 or something like that. It might be more uh, bail funds now in separate cities right. to help uh, bail protesters out after being arrested. Uh, so if you're it's, it's definitely scary, like overwhelmed of like, I don't, I can't be there. What do I do? Yeah, uh, this this link is a great place to uh, show some support. So uh, go check that out and help out. 
There you go. Donate, share the link, do whatever you can to uh, further the cause. Uh, but in the meantime, we're doing our episode. We're doing this podcast and all the theme songs you're going to hear this week were created by Kyle Cullen, who can you, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did in the show, uh, you can email us over at Mike and Mike go to the movies at gmail.com. So today we're doing another edition of Mike makes Mike watch. And basically how this works, we did this once before where uh, Mike and I each picked another movie for the other one of us to watch. Uh, last time, uh, Mike chose for me to watch The Descent, the uh, Neil Marshall horror movie uh, from 2005, which was really great. And I made him watch Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, which is one of the best movies ever made. So, <laughs> correct. <laughs> There's that. Uh, for whatever, like, I made you watch Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, and it was around the time that, uh, that Scoob came out, uh, the new Scooby-Doo right. movie, uh, which I have not watched. It's available on video on demand right now. I don't know. I've, I've heard kind of like mixed things. It seems like it loses the way of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> You know, that's what I've heard. Also, yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's about like the mystery anymore. It's about like these. It's it's trying to launch a Hanna Barbera cinematic universe. Um, so like right. other Hanna Barbera cartoons are in it, like Dino Mutt and like Captain Caveman and Blue Falcon, and uh, I think the villain is like Dick Dashardly and Muttley. And like in my head, I'm like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like I feel like I would enjoy that. Um, but it also feels like like seeing some of the trailers and like seeing some of the reviews. It's like it looks like a pretty cynical, like, you know, studio version of a kid's movie with like, you know, updated like there's probably a reference to Tinder or something in there to appease parents and <laughs> that kind right. of thing. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's Scoob. I'm sure there's like some fun stuff in there. It was actually funny the day that Scoob came out, like the very day I got two separate texts from two of my friends back to back, one of which was Kyle Cullen, our, our music supervisor, uh, who was just in the podcast uh, two weeks ago doing our Star Wars episode uh and his his text was like hey i just rented scoob it's pretty good like not bad and then the next text was my friend ryan who uh texted me saying man scoob sucked (laughs) (laughs) the duality Uh, of man exactly and i was like so i was you know i thought it was very funny that i got two separate texts back to back both with wildly different reactions to scoob i also thought it was weird that like people were watching a scooby-doo movie and they were like i gotta text mike (laughs) I got yeah. to tell him Mike everything has to I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. I, I still get texts uh, whenever a Nick Cage uh, story comes out. So that's very yes. comforting. Thank you to all of, <laughs> all of our fans. Uh, but Scooby-Doo? Interesting. I like it. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've only done one episode centered on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> uh, but maybe I'm just that well known of the Scooby-Doo fan. I don't know. I, I, have I brought right. it up a lot on the on the pod? I don't think I have. <laughs> You're a well-documented Scooby Stan, Mike. We know. I'm, Scooby Stan. <laughs> I like that, actually. Uh, yeah, no, Scooby-Doo. I mean, I do have strong opinions about the show. Don't get me wrong. Pup named Scooby-Doo all the way was the best one. But even so, it was just, it was weird that that happened. But so in any case, we did a Mike Makes Mike watch a couple of weeks ago. And now we're doing one again. Uh, last week, we each chose a movie for the other one to watch. For me... Mike, you chose Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise from 1974, which you had watched, I think, as a discussion that week, right? Right. Yeah, I watched it uh, last weekend or so and was like, Mike needs to see this (laughs) or whenever it was. (laughs) Um, And I used it last episode. So, okay, fair enough. So, yeah, Phantom of the Paradise is the movie that I watched. And then for Mike, I chose a a Joe Dante movie from 1985. Uh, And Joe Dante, one of my favorite filmmakers, I went on a huge Joe Dante kick a few years back and like just watched all the movies that I hadn't seen. Uh, And this was one of them and one that I haven't watched since then. But it's been like still in my mind for whatever reason. It's just it occupies a weird brain space because I think of the potential 
that this movie had. Uh, and so the movie yeah. I chose for you, Mike, what was it? Uh, that was Explorers from 1985. Yeah, with uh, young Ethan Hawke and young River Phoenix in their film debuts, and also some third kid. <laughs> some other <It's>, dude. <laughs> who, uh, uh, even on the uh, <laughs> uh, Amazon Prime video like page, doesn't have a name. Like, like it says, like, starring Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix, and then it's yeah. like you have to go to the cast tab. Like, you have to go to a separate page to see <laughs> the third lead of the movie. Uh, that's great. Uh, Jason Presson is the kid's name, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just looked it up right now. But yeah, so you made me watch Fans of the Paradise. Uh, I made you watch Explorers, and we're going to get into it today. Let's start off with Phantom of the Paradise. 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise. A gothic horror story. What was that? A beautiful love story. A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece to glitter and beyond. The story of a sound, the man who created it, the girl who sang it, the monster who stole it, and the phantom who haunts the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. Phantom of the Paradise. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else that tries, dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody, that you weren't working just to survive. Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this. Paul Williams as Swan. And the angels that I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. Phantom of the Paradise. There really is the Phantom. Phantom. All right, so Phantom of the Paradise, 1974, uh, directed by Brian De Palma. This is a movie that I had wanted to watch for a very, very long time. Uh, And, you know, when we talked about it last week, Mike, uh, I mentioned, like, yeah, you know, I think with Brian De Palma, like, I've seen it in a decent amount of his stuff at this point. And, you know, back when we watched Snake Eyes, I think I had only ever seen, like, the original Mission Impossible. I had completely forgotten that Brian De Palma had directed Carrie and Scarface and The Untouchables (laughs) and, like, a lot of, like, big movies, too. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, I associate him more with the um, more like thriller kind of more film geek movies, I guess, with stuff like Blowout, uh, Dress to Kill, Sisters, which we, which we saw at the Alamo Drafthouse, uh, Obsession, which is a very good movie that I have uh, on Screen Factory Blu-ray. Uh, and Phantom of Paradise is one of those movies where I was like, I got to watch this at some point. This sounds like right up my alley. Uh, now, why did you make me watch 
Phantom of the Paradise, Mike? Um, well, one, I knew that you're a, uh, you know, De Palma fan, and we both enjoy the techniques and devices and stuff that he's kind of known for, like the shti- like the split screen and, like, the kind of shtick stuff for Brian De Palma. And then, uh, also, it's just a, a fun little rock and roll opera, basically, kind of thing. It's a Faustian uh, legend set to uh, 1970s rock, uh, and it's weird, and that's a, a lot of your favorite things all in one, sure. <laughs> mixed up in a one thing (laughs) so i knew that you would enjoy this movie and you were correct i did enjoy (laughs) phantom of the paradise (laughs) uh yeah i had a blast with this movie i don't think it's like my favorite brian de palma by any means but i think it's just just in terms of like just sheer like wow they were able to pull this off kind of thing it's pretty impressive that they were able to make this thing it is essentially like a riff on phantom of the opera but it was before phantom of the opera was a musical like they got they got there first basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, there's also, oh, before it was a musical. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you're that's right. what I mean. Like the, like the Phantom of the Opera musical happened in the 80s. And like, you know, it was based on like the novel from like 1910 or whatever it was. Uh, right. So, you know, and there's been like, there had been like silent film versions of the Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. There had been like adaptations over the years. Uh, the musical Phantom of the Opera didn't exist until I think 1982 when Andrew Lloyd Webber did it. That might have been Cats. I might be mixing up my, my Andrew Lloyd Webber timeline a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> which Cats was another movie that I was trying to get you trying to get you to watch, by the way, uh, for, for this True. podcast. One day it's going to happen. But so Phantom of the Opera in like the 80s, that became a musical. But so I, I like I, I knew that this was about like kind of a phantom of a, a film, or a, a phantom of like a stage, like a theater kind of thing. And for whatever reason, my mind didn't put it together that I was really on Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think because it became came out in the seventies, and the version of Phantom of the Opera that I associate with the most is the musical, like the, the, which I know right. came out in the eighties. So I was like, oh well, it sounds kind of similar, but there's no way it can be Phantom of the Opera. Uh, <laughs> it can't possibly turns, be that. And it turns out, yes, it can. Um, <laughs> it's very much <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, the plot of this movie is a guy is a great composer. He's one of like the great rock musicians. He's about to like get his music out there in the world. He falls in love with this woman who's a singer, uh, and he gets taken advantage of by this you know sleazy music producer uh, played by Paul Williams, who was a real music producer and lyricist in real life. Uh, I believe he, he wrote like what? a bunch of songs. Yeah, he, I think he wrote like a bunch of songs for like Three Dog Night or something like that. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, three, three Dog Nights, uh, an old-fashioned love song and Out in the Country, Helen Reddy's You and Me Against the World, David Bowie's Fill Your Heart, The Carpenters Have Only Just Begun, and Rainy Days and Mondays. He wrote Rainbow Connection from the Muppet movie, Mike. I mean... <laughs> Holy shit. Did he also do the, he did the music for this, I think, right? Or no? Uh, yes. Yeah. He, he, uh, composed, yeah. I think he wrote all the lyrics. I think he did everything for this movie as far as the songs go. Wow. Uh, or at least was heavily involved in it. So, uh, yeah. So Paul Williams is the villain of the movie. He's like the sleazy music producer also did a lot of the music for it. Basically what happens in the movie is that, uh, this guy who is, you know, this great musician, like one of a kind, like he's going to be like one of the best songwriters of all time. Uh, he gets taken advantage of by this, mu- this sleazy music producer gets sent to jail uh, for like six months and then escapes, breaks out, tries to get the music back and like take revenge. And he ends up getting his face pressed in a record machine uh, and then yeah. like falls into the river and like he kind of blows up uh, and everybody <laughs> thinks he's dead. But it turns out he's nuts. Uh, and he has like this, you know, horrible metal mask and he has to speak with this like, you know, voice box or whatever. And he's like, he's a monster. He's a phantom, if you will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and so from there, it's essentially Phantom of the Opera. He's like living behind the scenes of the thing. He kind of like forms an alliance with the music producer to get the woman who he fell in love with, like into the show so that she she could sing his music. She's the only one who could sing his music and that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, Phantom of the Paradise. It's it's a weird movie for sure. And I love just the design of everything in this movie, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, the actual design of the Phantom is crazy. Like, it, it's yeah. like genuinely, I think there's parts of this movie that feel like a horror movie. And, you know, he perfectly fits that kind of like horror movie mold. Um, but he's also like he's also a tragic figure. And I think William Finley, who was in a lot of uh, Brian De Palma movies over the years, uh, he's the one who plays the Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, and he conveys a lot of emotion just through like his eyes through the mask. It's actually really incredible to watch him like try to perform through all these like prosthetics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, he <laughs> I love the scene when he uh, gets sent to prison and uh, the judge is like for life and he turns around and yells at the camera and he's like, yes, but I'm innocent. Anyway, sorry. Then he gets he's in this kind of volunteer dental program and they pull all his teeth and give him metal teeth. Right. So he looks like Jaws from James Bond and then he's got the black lipstick and this bird mask is like phantom mask and he just looks so weird and interesting. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty incredible performance through this giant mask, basically. Yeah, definitely. I liked him a lot and but I really loved uh, Jessica Harper as uh, as the woman that he falls in love with, uh, whose name is Phoenix. Uh, Jessica Harper yes. was the lead in Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is uh, where I recognized her from. That's like, who I, that I, is. Yeah, I, I had no idea she was in this movie, and so I got like very excited when she showed up. And I think she is terrific um, throughout the movie. I think she really comes alive in the scene where she like auditions finally um, for right for the musical uh, or for this like Faust musical or whatever. So like she's like they've met her a few times. Like, you know, she can sing a little bit, uh, but you haven't like really heard her like let loose and like just like her kind of like letting her hair down and go like, you know, just like taking the mic and wandering around, like strutting her on the stage. Like that was great. Like, she's really great in that scene. And uh, yeah, you could like it's it's really fun to see her perform. And I loved just the like I, I, I remember thinking it was like really strange how like quickly she sort of like starts sleeping with uh, with Phoenix or whatever. It's like <laughs> it happens like with Swan yeah, or with Swan. Yeah, because her name is Phoenix. That'd be weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like she she and Swan, the music producer, like eventually start sleeping together um, and the Phantom's like, you know, tormented and he's like, you know, on the roof and he's watching them like, oh, my yeah, love. The thunderstorm. And, yeah, the thunderstorm is happening and stuff. It's very like German expressionistic in the in the way that it's like doing a lot of its set design oh, yeah. too, especially Especially in the actual stage musical, uh, which feels lifted from like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is one of the best movies ever. Yeah. Uh, and so like that was a pretty cool kind of thing to like reference and stuff like that. And like the the music, uh, the undeads is the uh, is the band that's playing there, um, which I, I love the way the uh, like, it starts off. It's the same band throughout the movie as different <laughs> yeah, versions of themselves. The uh, best part. It feels like De Palma just like making a statement on like the complete emptiness and soullessness of like commercial pop music and stuff like that, where it's just like, you know, like you can just kind of redress these same guys in different outfits and they're, you know, people will buy it as a new thing. Right. Um, right. That said, I did really like the Juicy Fruits. I thought, uh, when they were the Juicy oh. Fruits, I really liked their song. At the beginning. <laughs> yeah. The movie <laughs> opens with that amazing voiceover. That's like Swan, who wrote his first record at age yeah. 14. Who a man onto a mass so many he tried to deposit them at Fort Knox like oh, incredible like <laughs> yes uh, and then uh, do you do you know who did that voiceover by the way no I don't that was Mr Rod Serling 
Uh, from the Twilight what? Zone. What? <laughs> yeah, it is. Holy shit. Boom. That's so good. 10 out of 10. Yes. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, yeah. That's like, I, I, when it was happening, I was like, I recognize that voice from somewhere. Uh, where do I know it from? And I had to look it up. It's like, oh my God. Uh, that's incredible. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, his band, you know, the Juicy Fruits ignited the retro craze. And it's like, you know, this 70s band, but they're doing like, you know, 50s rock kind of thing. Right. And uh, that whole song is so good. Like Goodbye Eddie yeah. or whatever it's called. It's yeah. Fucking incredible. It's, and that was the, really great. I didn't know anything about this movie. And I was like, oh, and like how to sit forward on the couch a little bit. Like, here we go. <laughs> um, so much fun. Yeah, it's weird. That, that might be like my favorite song in the movie. Uh, and it's supposed I, to be this. And it's supposed to be like the sellout song. It's supposed to be the song that everyone yeah. thinks is like trash. Um, but I kind of liked it a lot. It's really good. Um, but they become the Juicy Fruits. They become the Beach Bums at some point. Uh, and right. then and then again, they become uh, the undead, like this kind of goth acts that uh, <laughs> Swan it's puts Alice together. Cooper thing. Yes. Uh, kind of. And when they're when they're the undead, they're led by this guy, Beef, uh, who's played by Garrett Graham. He's this very flamboyant gay character. Uh, and that's, you know, pretty fun, pretty fun to uh, watch him perform. And there's the big slasher moment in the movie. The scene, the scene where um, William Finley as the Phantom kills Beef uh, while he's performing on stage with like the electricity bolts that's like coming down yeah. from the ceiling. It's just a neon uh, light. It's so yes, good. Exactly. Uh, and for some reason, like, you know, again, because I hadn't really like like I, I got that it was riffing on Phantom of the Opera at that point. <laughs> um, right. Like it would be very difficult to watch this movie and not pick up on that, I guess. But as far as Phantom of the Opera goes, like I saw the musical live on Broadway when I was like 13, 14 and haven't really seen it since. So like, I kind of forgot that the Phantom tries to kill people. <laughs> It's yeah. And so he does he, drop a, a chandelier right in the, yeah. in the family. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's the big, uh, act one showstopper. Like when, the, when act one ends, the chandelier right. drops, I'm pretty sure that's when it happens. Uh, and it's a very cool effect, uh, which I always liked, uh, I think it was like on comedy bang, bang. Um, Paulus Tompkins plays Angela Weber a lot on that show. Um, and there's like, and there's like one episode where they just start talking about the chandelier and how expensive it is because they have to actually break a new chandelier every night. <laughs> <laughs> Like the, show, the show costs millions of dollars because every every day they're sending somebody out to go buy a new chandelier and put it up so they can drop it. I'm going to choose to believe that's true. I, I, I 100% believe that's true. It has to be. There's no, there's no other way. That's why it's the longest running show on Broadway. It keeps people in the seats. That's right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so the Phantom does kill people in Phantom of the Opera tries to. And uh, in this movie, the Phantom is also doing the same thing. And that's like, is that the first death? He, the first kill he has is it the only like actual person that he kills in the movie beef you know i did ha- i did rewatch this this weekend again because i was just kept really? thinking about that one that one juicy fruit song oh, i yeah. was like i gotta watch it <laughs> even though it's the first <laughs> 10 minutes i mean no he kills the spotlight guy uh which is oh, technically yeah. after beef but yeah so he he does kill beef and at that point oh, when he <laughs> doesn't he he blows up the bomb on the the, the beach bums so no <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah fair remember enough. Yes, yes, I remember. Um, but yeah, so he kills Beef, and then at that point, Swan, um, Swan like realizes what's happening, and he knows that like, or I, it's not even Swan; it's like the security guy who Beef like. At, at, actually, the scene before all that, when um, the Phantom is like, you know, with the psycho. <laughs> yeah, it's the psycho riff. He like <laughs> takes this, takes the knife. He's going through the shower, and you know, Brian De Palma is somebody who rips off Hitchcock relentlessly throughout his body of work. Uh, right. <laughs> there's a lot of you know. Uh, mistaken identity and that kind of thing or you know this thing may not be what it actually is and this movie like directly like lifts from Psycho in that sequence where he's just doing like yeah. the shower shower curtain uh, and he but it's warns, a plunger is the right <laughs> and it's a plunger which is also great <laughs> and he like sticks <laughs> the plunger in his face uh, and, he warned, <laughs> and he warns Beef 
that if you go on and sing tonight, you will die because only uh, Phoenix can sing my music and that kind of thing. And Beef gets the message. He like is like, all right, I'm out of here. And he like leaves. But the um, like the club promoter or whatever, like tells him to go back and like, you know, you're going to you got to you like you're forced into this. You got a contract and stuff like that. So he goes back and the Phantom kills him. And then the club promoter realizes like, oh, shit. OK, I guess Beef is telling the truth. We got to send Phoenix out there and finish the show kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Uh, which is what they do. And she sings the song and the crowd is like, yeah. And they all know Phoenix's name somehow. <laughs> Right. Uh, And all that stuff. Um, But so the show ends on that note. And then it's like the next day or whatever, or like a week later, they're going to be coming back uh, for like round two of Faust to finally finish it with Phoenix in the lead role. And I think at this point, this is where the movie truly becomes insane. Um, Yes. (laughs) Not not that it hasn't been up to this point already, but you start learning about Swan's backstory and about the fact that uh, Swan made like a deal with the devil years ago where he will remain young forever uh, unless the videotapes like recording of his contract is destroyed <laughs> and mm-hmm. and like fo- photos will like age in his place. And so he will always stay young uh, for that reason. And so, you know, it kind of that reveals why like Winslow had to sign his contract with Swan in blood in the <laughs> earlier. In the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was really great. They, they eventually realized that Phoenix or Swan is planning to marry Phoenix live on the air. Um, but then also kill her during the ceremony for reasons. I actually don't like why. Why was Swan trying to kill Phoenix? He, he, they make a deal that uh, if they get married, will he have? Can Swan have Phoenix's voice? Uh, which you know right. seems like a weird record producer kind of thing. And then like, oh wait, actually he's the devil. He's trying to literally steal her voice and give it right. to someone else, probably. Yes. Uh, so he's gonna marry her kill her and then have her voice and okay. uh, Winslow for the phantom finds out. Yes. So Winslow finds out and he attempts to stop the assassination, uh, which he does. He stops the assassin from hitting Phoenix. Uh, and instead he shoots and kills the priest, or which the priest is like the club promoter from before, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so he kills him. And, you know, at, while this is going on, like, you know, the, the wedding's still happening. Uh, or like, you know, Swan and Phoenix and the priest is shot and like, they're all freaking it out. The rest of the crowd is just, you know, still be in a rock and roll crowd <laughs> and they're still just like right. dancing around and being like, yeah, this is great. Uh, and nobody like notices what's happening around them at all. <laughs> um, no. which, you know, makes for a lot of really great chaos, which I appreciated. Uh, and so the phantom like runs onto the stage, he rips off Swan's mask, uh, which, you know, has his young face on it and exposes him as like, ah, I'm the devil. Uh, <laughs> you're right. Uh, and so Swan like tries to strangle Phoenix and like the phantom kills Swan. But then the Phantom's own like stab wound reopens because they're like the terms of their contract indicate that if Swan dies, the Phantom will also die. <laughs> and right. so he sac- basically the Phantom sacrifices himself to save Phoenix and he lays like dying in the in like the middle of the stage. And like Phoenix like realizes that it's been Winslow this whole time and she runs over to him and all that stuff. And like the crowd is still just going nuts like around them. <laughs> And that's yeah. And that's the end of the movie. That's how Phantom of the Paradise ends. It's so good. Yeah. yeah, that uh that that whole last like 15 minutes are just fucking chaos. Uh when when Winslow finds the uh like room of film and fa- watches that tape uh where where Swan is going to kill himself and the devil appears just just himself in the mirror kind of thing. Yep. And like there's the four the four monitors and he's like watching that while seeing the movie. But like the actual like he's seeing himself in this. It's like a whole weird De Palma self-reflexive thing going yeah. on. Um, and then seeing the stage show happening and it's like this whole wild, you know, four way split screen thing going on. Yes. Uh, 
great. Loved it. And he's running through the hallway. He's going to make it in time. And it's just like this weird rock band playing while this crowd's going insane. And those women dressed as crows are on stage dancing, which doesn't make any sense. Um, it is just, it's just insane. Like imagery with really cool rock. Uh, and then yes. chaos. And I was in a hundred percent. Yeah. The, the music is so good. And, uh, there's a lot of like great De Palma touches throughout the movie. I think one of my favorites is actually, um, during one of the scenes where they're setting up and it's there as the, uh, the beach bums, I think at that point, the band, um, and they do right. like a split screen thing where you're following the band on stage, like rehearsing and performing, but you're also following backstage behind the scenes. And it's like, you're watching Phoenix and you're watching uh, the guy, like the kind of club promoter trying to organize everything. Uh, and he's like trying to like tell the guys on stage what to do and that kind of thing. And you're following him around and you're following them in like the other screen. And every once in a while, they like kind of crisscross. And so stuff that's happening on one screen is also happening on the other screen, uh, but like from a different yeah. angle. <laughs> And that kind of thing, uh, which is just really cool. It's like really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene because of the, the one side starts with Winslow throwing, throwing a, like a cartoon, like, you know, Bugs Bunny style, uh, stick of dynamite with an alarm clock on it <laughs> in the trunk of the car uh, that they're going to wheel out, uh, onto the performance, onto the rehearsal stage. Uh, so like you're following that car for most of that. And with this ticking clock in the background, yeah. uh, and it's just like so much tension to watch both the split screens. And then when they come together, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> some shit is going to go down. Uh, and it does. And it's a lot of fun. It does. Uh, so as far as like Brian De Palma movies go, where do you think this ranks for you, Mike? Like, uh, like you've seen I mean, we've talked about this kind of a little bit last week. Like De Palma is somebody that uh, you want to work through more. Yeah. Like you haven't seen as many of his movies as you would like to. I've seen, I think, more De Palma movies than you have, but definitely not the full filmography. Uh, so where, where does this rank as far as the De Palma movies that you've seen, Mike? Uh, you know, I forgot the same, same kind of thing as you like, oh yeah, Carrie, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the untouchables uh, and all those things. Um, so with that said, still, uh, I feel like this might be like my top 10 of all time ever now. Really? Um, Whoa. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I had so much fucking fun with this movie that, uh, I was like, Mike needs to watch this. And then I watched it a couple days ago again, like, you know, two, three days after I had just watched it. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, I got to watch it again. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's pretty high up there. I mean, I do really like Sisters, though, as far as like De Palma movies. Oh, sure. Um, that's just so much fun, which is just just De Palma straight up doing Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, and that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's one or two, I guess, for now. You know, we'll have to see if I do uh, do some more De Palma viewing, if that changes uh, at all. But this is definitely definitely entered my like favorite movies of all time conversation. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I'm uh, as in love with it as you are. Uh, but I do really like the movie. I think it's like for me, like mid tier De Palma where I, like I, I prefer like blowout. I think blowouts a masterpiece. Like that's close to like a top 10 movie of all time for me. Uh, that like that nice. movie's incredible. Blowouts. Great. Sister is also great. Uh, I would, I would probably put this up there with like dress to kill. I think, you know, so sort of like the four out of five type range for me. Um, okay. it's, it's very high up there. And a lot of his movies are kind of in that range too. I really like a lot of stuff from De Palma. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I recently watched raising Cain and that's like the worst one I've seen. Uh, and even that was like pretty good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there is that, but, uh, yeah, Par Phantom of the Paradise really, really dug it. And I'm glad that you made me watch it for, uh, for Mike makes Mike watch Mike. Or there is that? a, uh, blue, there is a Blu-ray of it, by the way. I know we talked about it last time and I went and looked and I forget if it's out of print or something or there's, or the limited editions out of print. There's something, there's some weird availability thing with the Blu-ray of this. Uh, cause I was probably going to buy it after I watched it the second time, okay. uh, but I didn't, so I okay. didn't pull the trigger and I can't exactly remember why. Gotcha. Uh, but at least there's that. 
Gotcha. Is that like a, is that a shout factory or something? I feel like that was like uh, one of theirs. There is a shout factory. I think there's also an arrow uh, Blu-ray, okay. but I think the arrow is region B or some weird. There's so there was gotcha. something that I got confused about and I didn't buy anything, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but it is available. Gotcha. I don't know if you saw based by the way, uh, arrows, uh, August announcements. Um, but they had some not. pretty fucking good stuff, including, uh, the Gamera collection, um, Ooh. which is like 120 bucks. And it's like the companion to the criterion Godzilla collection. It's like all 12 Gamera That's- movies, uh, which, uh, I am very excited about that one. Once the price goes down or it's like a half off sale or something, I feel like I got to jump on that. Yeah. Uh, but they're also releasing, um, pitch black, the Vin Diesel movie. Uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Uh, fuck yeah why not yeah totally it's gonna be awesome there's also like one other kind of big one that i'm that i remember but i'm blanking on what it was but like gamera and pitch black were the ones that stood out to me like pitch black just like this is super weird that this is happening but i am on board (laughs) (laughs) i mean if they really wanted to you know make some waves the whole riddick trilogy needs to be on you know prestige arrow blu-ray but i'll take pitch black for now oh yeah that's <laughs> well, a baby steps, you know? Exactly. Uh, but all right. So that's Phantom of the Paradise movie. I really, really enjoyed. And now one of Mike's favorite movies of all time, apparently. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, but I chose not to make Mike watch a masterpiece this week. <laughs> 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 I thought about it. I, I almost made you watch cats. Um, <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. Uh, but instead we went with uh, a, a, a little bit of a different direction, a movie that I think could have been a masterpiece. Uh, if, the behind the scenes have gone a little bit better. Uh, so right now, let's dive into Joe Dante's 1985 sci-fi movie, Explorers. Hey, watch what you're doing. Shh, pass me the Phillips. Don't like that. You need the ratchet here. I can't do anything with your hand in the way. It's stuck. Give me that thing. Here. Ouch! Watch it. Shh. Be quiet, man. Bang like that. Your mom's going to wonder what we're doing. If this thing works, everyone's going to wonder what we're doing. Switch on the computer. Ready? Here goes. From the director of Gremlins, Explorers, coming this summer from Paramount Pictures. The adventure begins in your own backyard. All right. That was from the trailer for Explorers, directed by Joe Dante, 1985, starring Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix. Also features uh, Dick Miller kind of popping up in there uh, as, like mm-hmm. a, I think, a cop who's uh, trying to or like an FBI agent who's like kind of tracking the kids down. Is that what it was? He's at least a helicopter man. Um, okay. I don't remember what he's doing in the helicopter. All right. Fair enough. So we should we should mention I made Mike watch Explorers uh, because this is a movie that I've been fascinated by for many years. I watched it once back in like 2015 uh, when I kind of had my big Joe Dante kick and I was trying to like watch all the Joe Dante movies that I hadn't seen. And I had seen a good amount at that point, you know, because Gremlins was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid and I loved Small Soldiers and Gremlins 2 and, you know, the Burbs I had kind of recently discovered. And I was like, I got to watch everything that Joe Dante did. Uh, uh, and so I d- did just that. Uh, and I, I think I watched the, I think there might still be like one or two like TV movies that he made that I haven't haven't watched. But all the theatrical Joe Dante releases, I have seen those. Uh, and Joe Dante, one of my favorite filmmakers, Explorers is a weird one in his filmography because this is a movie that I think is basically perfect for its first half. I think the first half of this movie <laughs> is pretty incredible. 
And then the second half of the movie yeah. is just like, what the fuck was, <laughs> was going on with this? Uh, and that's kind of why I wanted you to watch it too, Mike, just to see what your reaction was to Explorers. So what'd you think of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Dante, uh, you know, I've been, I'm a big fan of uh, his podcast, uh, with Josh Olsen, which is, uh, the movies that made me, uh, and I've seen, you know, a decent chunk, you know, the big ones, rock and roll high school, uh, gremlins, gremlins too. Sure. I forgot about, uh, rewatching small soldiers, but I have seen uh, small soldiers. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, I, I was looking, um, while I was, you know, scrolling to Amazon, uh, to, to, to this page for explorers, it's list some of his movies. And I was like, Oh yeah, I have the fucking howling on Blu-ray. I forgot about that. So I've seen that. I've seen the howling. <laughs> okay. Um, so he's someone, another one like De Palma that's like kind of a, uh, not a staple quite the way De Palma is, uh, but somebody that isn't a film, a filmmaker that I want to see more of his movies. Yeah. But yeah, explorers, uh, the first like 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so, I was like, I am shocked that this is not in the conversation with Goonies and E.T. Yep. and Stand By Me. Uh, like, I, 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 while I was watching, I was just so nervous for what is going to happen in the back half of this movie <laughs> that just completely prevents it from being in that conversation because it absolutely yep. is up until that point. Yeah, and it's just a fun, like, 1980, like, post, I think it's post-E.T., uh, so it's kind of got yeah. that, like going for that thing, you know, that, that Amblin, uh, sure. magic kind of deal. Yeah. Um, and, and Joe Dante was a kind of a Spielberg protege. I mean, they worked on, um, he, he did one of the shorts for Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, Spielberg produced right. gremlins and that kind of thing. So he, you know, Spielberg kind of like was one of those guys kind of like Robert Zemeckis where Spielberg kind of like, you know, kind of ushered them into the film industry and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's definitely has that. I mean, it's river Phoenix and Ethan Hawke uh, in their film debuts. And that other guy we talked about, um, uh, Jason Presson, <laughs> Jason Presson. And they're all great. Like they're, you know, these little like uh, middle school kids or, you know, freshmen in high school, uh, that kind of like, you know, little kids that, uh, river Phoenix and Ethan Hawke are like these nerdy kids obsessed with science and computers and space. Yep. Uh, and the other kid, <laughs> Peter Jessen is like, you know, this like kind of loner kid that gets lumped in with them by accident somehow. Like there's like a bully, a bully event at school where they're like, well, I guess we'll hang out with the strange kid uh, (laughs) kind of thing. And they discover, I don't really even know how they find this thing. I don't Oh, Ethan Hawke has a dream about it, I think. Right. Uh, And like some computer program, which that all that imagery and like computer generated stuff was so funny uh, to see what that looked like in 1985. Yeah. And, um, they build it and it's this like weird orb that they can program from the computer to manifest in the real world in three dimensions. And it's can enclose around stuff and fly them around. Uh, and it just becomes this weird, like science adventure stuff for the first half hour or 45 minutes of them figuring out what this is and how do we use it. And, uh, we have to hide it from dad. Who's played by the guy from babe. (laughs) Whose name I can't remember. James Cromwell. James, James, James Cromwell. Cromwell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> James Cromwell with a German accent. Uh, yeah. I forgot that River Phoenix's name is Wolfgang. And so they're always calling, right. him, calling him Wolfgang. Uh, and him being played against, I was going to say against tight, but it's his film debut. Um, but he's, you know, a tough kid. He's the, the guy that with the cigarettes rolled in his shirt. Right. In uh, Stand By Me. Uh, and here he's wearing a lab coat. He's pushing up his glasses by the bridge <laughs> and he's got pocket protector. Um, and it was a lot of fun to see, to yeah. see River Phoenix like that. Um, and Stand By Me yeah, was just so like kinda, a year later, by the way. Like it's, it was, it was yeah. not long after this movie came out. But uh, yeah, but I just mean that that's like the, the like I, for me at least, that's like 
the role of uh, right. River Phoenix, even though, you know, he's like also young Indiana Jones and stuff like that. Yes. But yeah. he's like that tough kid with the cigarettes as a, as a 14 year old or whatever. Right. But I'm, I'm uh, saying, I'm saying like picture like being an audience member in the eighties and be, and seeing explorers in the theater and be like, Hmm, this River Phoenix kid seems pretty nerdy. And then a year later being like, what the fuck? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I guess the thing is nobody saw explorers, so it's fine. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it's got that like, you know, science is good. This like kind of fun and weird adventure that we're going to hide the secret from parents and the mouse with the keyboard that has sentences programmed to it. So the mouse can talk to them in the cage. (laughs) Love it. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, And then turns out what happened was uh, (laughs) I read some of the Wikipedia stuff and the behind the scenes things about this movie is uh, the studio, I think, got bought by somebody new owners or something exactly along yeah, the lines behind along the scenes lines. they were like yeah we need to capitalize on this et uh craze right now yep and took the movie from joe dante before he was finished filming or editing i think even yeah uh and put it out made it have made it happen so it just back out of this movie um kind of isn't really there um <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense yeah and what is there is wild yeah and this movie failed i think i think i saw in the wikipedia that it released the week after Back to the Future and yes, the same weekend as Live Aid. So nobody <laughs> went to the movies because everyone was seeing Live Aid and anyone that was at the movies was seeing Back to the Future. So yep. it just kind of got buried and forgotten about. Pretty uh, much. So poor Joe Dante, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and this was like the movie he made right after Gremlins, which was a big hit. Uh, and so to come off of that and do Explorers and uh, I think after this, I want to say it was Inner Space. I feel like Inner Space was his next movie. So he bounced back. I'm pretty sure that was a big hit. Uh, and so there so there was that. But just this this is a movie that like, you know, even today when you bring it up, like you've mentioned, he like people have talked about it on the movies that made me his podcast. Uh, and whenever it comes up, he's like, oh, yeah, that movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that one. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was like a whole lot of production problems behind the scenes, which essentially forced them to kind of just make up the back half of this movie on the fly. Uh, and what's weird about it is like, the back half of this movie feels very Joe Dante ish. Like there's a lot of like weird shit that feels like in line with what you know about Joe Dante, where it's like referencing a lot of like old classic Looney Tunes and old sci-fi movies and things like that. But it is just so at odds with the first half of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which is like this really like classical whimsical, like wonderful sci-fi adventure. Uh, And, you know, I remember like I sort of had this feeling actually when we watched, um, the reboot of Fantastic Four back in 2015. I think I mentioned this movie on the podcast when we reviewed it back then, uh, because, because I had just watched this kind of recently at that point. Um, but like the first half of that rebooted Fantastic Four is like this kind of like, you know, just isn't science cool kind of thing. Uh, and we're like right. doing science experiments and whatnot. And it's a bunch of like, you know, older kids, obviously, but they're supposed to be like 18, 19 or whatever. And they're, you know, young people like doing science. And it's sort of like, like the first half of the Fantastic Four movie is not what I would consider very good. It's still very kind of slapdash and put together um but it does have that a little bit of that explorers feeling in the first half of explorers and then the second half of fantastic four has the second half of explorers feeling (laughs) 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 where it just completely falls apart um but like the first half of explorers is so great it's it's wonderful it's like on track to be an all-time 80s classic and then it just completely stumbles and falls on its face. Uh, it's yeah. really rough. It's real rough. Yeah. So then they, uh, so the, the kids, you know, they, they figure out whatever this orb thing is, can fly people around. Yeah. Uh, in a pretty fun sequence with river Phoenix, uh, gets trapped in it by accident. And then he's flown around and they can't figure out what to do. Right. Uh, they have the idea. Uh, one of the kids like goes to a junkyard a lot, like hangs out at the junkyard. Yeah. The punk. And he's kid, like, ah, right. 
the punk kid. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I ha- there's something the we third can one. <laughs> the third guy. Yes. Uh, and they go there at night, and uh, there's a fun little Rosebud <laughs> cameo, which is very right. strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things, like, in the junkyard, uh, very prominently displayed. Yep. Uh, and they steal, like, a... Um, like something that would be on like a like a carnival ride booth kind of thing. I forget exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh and, and they're like we can make this into a spaceship. We're like we'll get we'll get in the bubble and we'll fly around in this thing and they build yep. like you know it's like a montage of them building this thing. They they christen it the Thunder Road after the Bruce Springsteen song yep. like 10 out of 10. I'm on board. <laughs> um, and there's a really fun bit where Ethan Hawke is trying to break the bottle, but he can't. <laughs> it's like a soda. It's like a root beer bottle or something. Right. And he just like pours it on it instead. Uh, fun times. You know, it's a fun yeah. little goof. And then uh, they fly to the drive-in and they watch, uh, I forget like what Flash Gordon ripoff kind of thing they're making uh, or watching <laughs> on the drive-in uh, or like an Ed Wood kind of deal. And right. uh, yeah, it's fun. It's all fun and funny games at that point. And they like crash through the screen and then Dick Miller is in the helicopter, which I think he's a cop or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I, th- I feel like uh, it's it's like implying the government is like they got wind of. I mean, it's been a few years since I've seen it. But what I remember is like, didn't the government like get wind of like the idea that these kids are building a spaceship and they don't want them to do that? Or am I making that mm-hmm. up entirely? <laughs> Not, um, not exactly. They, they, well, they're at the drive-in, uh, like things go haywire and they crash through the screen and it's like all this wild stuff. There's like reports of like a UFO and they, while they're flying around and Dick Miller shows up to like intercept them and they, you know, with the helicopter and, uh, they evade them. They eventually land and, uh, Dick Miller eventually, I forget exactly what the, you know, order of events is, but he finds where they hid, they like hid it in a bush, like under some trees and stuff. And one of the guy's jackets, uh, Ethan Hawke's jacket is in there with his name and address and is like sewed into his jacket. Uh, and you think it's going to be that kind of thing where he's like, ah, oh, the big evil, you know, E.T. E- e- thing where the FBI is going to come shut him down. Right. Kind of thing. Uh, and it turns out like he's been a pilot and he just always wanted to go to space. Dick Miller's character wanted to go right. to space his whole life. Yes. And he's kind of like, go get him, kid kind of deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty fun. It's That's like nice. the, the Dante. You know, it's a nice touch. It's really nice. Yeah. Um. And then they kind of launch into space. They they like leave and they kind of like get into space. It's incredible. They did it. And it's literally like as soon as they go into space, it's when the movie turns into like okay, and now it's not as good anymore. <laughs> we ran out of script. Yep. <laughs> but that first like forty five minutes or whatever, man. I mean, it's just it's perfect. If it had a real ending, this movie could really, could really do like this movie could have been incredible. Um, but so yes, yeah, so yeah. they, they get into the spaceship, they're out in space. And then I, from what I remember, they get like caught by a tractor beam, right? Yeah. So while they're, while they were doing, uh, I think the reason they go haywire when they're at the drive-in is, uh, they realize that the orb like wants to go somewhere. Like it's kind of fighting them while they're trying yeah. to control it. Um, so that's how they end up in space. And then it's being like pulled into this giant spaceship, basically. Like it's trying to return to where it came from kind of deal. Uh, Yeah. And they come out in the spaceship and it's it's spooky and weird. And like, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, there. There there's a fun moment where they're sort of talking about on the way to uh, the spaceship where they're like, well, who knows what they're going to be? Just giant like sentient blobs. They might they might be like, you know, uh, telepathic. How are we going to know? And um, eventually the aliens show up. And yeah. man, those aliens, huh? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's they uh, look so weird. Yeah, 
so weird. And like in a way where it's almost like if, if it was a little bit different, if it was like if it was if the second half of this movie was stronger, like it could have used that to its advantage and that kind of thing. Because I like some of the ideas in the second half of the movie. Like I like, you yeah. know, the aliens uh, can only communicate with like clips from old TV and movies that air on the, the broadcasts of like Earth television or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. so like that's like their entire from what I remember, their entire speaking voice is just like old clips of stuff like Bumblebee from Transformers. Right. Yeah. So eventually um, and I, I look it's Rob Bottin, uh did the special effects who I think also did the howling. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So they look really good. Uh, you know, well, look, the design looks weird and it's not that it's it, really like, well made. Cartoonish. Yeah. It's a well made, yes. like horrifying creature. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So then they, they meet the aliens and they can only talk in, uh, you know, radio or TV broadcasts. Cause you know, we're broadcasting all that into space kind of thing. Yeah. And there's this kind of like moment where they're like trying to communicate. And there is that fun thing like Bumblebee, like that is, that is fun for a bit where it's like, you know, they ask a question and they respond yeah. with like clips of sound bites from different stuff. Like yeah, the channels like, change. Yeah, it'll just be like, eh, what's up, Doc? And that kind of like it'll just like do like, you know, yeah. old Looney Tunes clips and old sci fi things like the same like kind of Joe Dante things that, you know, we love about Joe Dante. It's like the kind of stuff that he loves referencing in his movies. Right. Uh, and so so like theoretically, like on paper, when I hear something like that, I'm like, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And then watching Explorers, I'm like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we talked about matinee, which I still haven't seen, uh, but that's what this is, basically, uh, where it's the, all those drive in kind of things are here. Yeah, but then it kind of just uh, pauses like the, you can. I feel like you can absolutely tell they had no idea what to do yeah. because they're like, wow, they talk in movie clips. And then we just 20 minutes of them talking in movie. Like they don't go anywhere. They don't yeah. do anything. No, there's no nothing happening. We have a whole uh, Little Richard musical performance dance number because they're playing <laughs> Little Richard while showing Little Richard on the back on the screen behind him. Yep. Little Richard uh, R.I.P. Uh. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, and like, that's it. Like, there's just nothing there. And then it turns out that they don't need to talk in movie clips because then their dad shows up the alien dad shows up right. and he's like you stole my car uh <laughs> and they're like oh you he said like you're not supposed to talk to humans and then they have a big family argument and the aliens are like oh we can't keep you i guess it's pets or whatever i don't know uh you guys have to go back home and they go home and there was a really fun little thing where where the dad talks about like the alien dad uh, says like, oh yeah, like you can't, you can't keep them because of the germs. And the the one of the little aliens is like, oh yeah, the common cold, which is what killed the aliens in War of the Worlds. And oh yeah, big thing. Make a big show of him reading the War of the Worlds comic books in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and I was like, I see you, Joe Dante. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it makes no like the last thirty minutes or whatever it is once they're on the alien ship. It makes there's just a montage of them talking in movie clips. And musical numbers. Yeah. And then the alien dad shows up and it's like, ah, you got to send the humans home. And then the aliens just <laughs> talk normally, like have regular right. conversations. Yeah. And then isn't, the kids go home. Isn't there a thing where strange. like the dad also says something like, um, like the reason we can't like we keep you guys at a distance is because of the the way you treat aliens or whatever. And it shows like a montage oh. of clips about like of, yes. old, of old movies of like, them attacking aliens and that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, keep showing like the day the earth stood still, right? And, you know, stuff like that where they're like attacking all the aliens. Um, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. And yeah. they, they try to explain, like, oh no, it's just entertainment, but like that's the only exposure they have to human culture is the broadcasts, <laughs> right? Uh, so they don't really know. 
Yeah, which, you know, is kind of interesting. There's a lot of like interesting ideas in this back half. It's just completely it's nonsense, though. Like it's all jumbled together right. uh, at the very last minute. And you can tell and it's it's a bummer. But uh, and, and basically like the, the movie's like final thought is like, well, the aliens, they're just like us. Right. That's right. Like, <laughs> kind of. Kids will be kids um, no matter what species they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's basically the message at the end. Uh it's kind of like, don't follow your dreams because you'll just be disappointed. Um, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, we're all kind of in the same boat. We're all in the same situation. But there was, um, I remember I was reading the Wikipedia and Joe Dante, there's like quotes or whatever from him at like a Q&A screening of this movie where he's saying that like the original script had them go to an alien planet and play baseball with the aliens because like they could see the baseball broadcasts. Okay. Um, and like, it's like this kind of moment of unity and he's like, but that doesn't make any sense. So we weren't going to do that. And then we were just going <laughs> to improvise. And there was some, something about like the mind, the world mind or something like this kind of like earth sentient thing that was going on in like a new wave spiritual shit in the yeah. early eighties, you know, that was part of it. And like the, the universe is all connected because the aliens are sending these kids, these dreams. So they have the blueprints to build this thing to come see them. You know, like there is going to be something right. about that and they couldn't figure it out. <laughs> like apparently too, there's a scene at the drive-in where um, they're like showing the, the fake movie in the movie kind of thing. Yes. And it, and it cuts, it cuts into one of the cars where there's this like, you know, two teenagers and the teenage boy is like, well, you know how they do this is like, uh, and he explains like how they do the special effect, like to look cool for his date. Right. And it's the only time that kid's in the movie, he never comes back. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and um, it's basically, there's Joe, one of the Joe Dante wanted somebody to represent him in the movie. Basically. Right. Basically, <laughs> but it's even better because according to the uh, Joe Dante Q and a, that was the Ethan Hawke's brother. And there was an entire family subplot that got cut out of the movie. What? And that's the only scene that made it back. Ah, in the movie. <laughs> so he's like, there's a kid, a guy uh, actor who is, had a whole subplot in this movie who was cut down to a single scene where oh, he mansplains man. movies to his date. <laughs> oh man. That's, I mean, that's the bummers. Uh, I mean, like they really yeah. need to, you know, now that they're doing the Snyder cut, right. They're making the Snyder cut right. there. There's probably more like if that's a hit, who knows what could happen after that? I'm just saying, I mean, I'm sure this movie, like they, you say they didn't finish filming and I believe that, uh, or they didn't finish <laughs> filming the way they wanted to, but like, there's gotta be like a better right. cut of this movie that exists out there or like that you can assemble from the footage that they did shoot, uh, make it happen. Like I just want some semblance of explorers that's close to what the original intention was because the first half yeah. of this movie is so good. <laughs> Even if it ends with them going into space and it's like, uh, the, the adventure that awaits us is kind of the ending. Like I'd be in if it's a 50 minute movie and it ends with them in space. Yeah. (laughs) Give me a chopping ball cut. That's what we need. (laughs) Exactly. Um, but so that's kind of the end of the movie right there. They go back to earth and, uh, they get like an amulet, which will let them come back to space at some point. Right. Once they like construct it or that's like the implication or something. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gives them, uh, he gives Ethan Hawke walk or whatever his name is, gives Ethan Hawke, uh, this crystal and that's the your your reference where he's like right. oh what's this and he's like this is the stuff that dreams are made of doing a little multi stalking uh, love it yeah and then he kind of uh, he gets the girl Joe Dante or Joe Dante <laughs> Ethan Hawke uh, gets the girl that he had a crush on the whole movie oh yeah and uh, she becomes part of their crew and they like fly through dreamland or wherever the fuck which is definitely I think also I read Joe Dante and that that thing said that it's it's uh, Peter Pan going to Never Neverland like it's that 
sequence. They just yeah. copied it and filmed okay. it filmed it in this. Um, at the end, when it's all the kids in their pajamas flying over the weird computer stuff. Right. Um, yeah, and then it ends on a weird fourth wall break and uh, where, where Wok's like, oh, I know you're still there. I can smell the popcorn. And then cuts credits. I really uh, love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? Let's, let's get um, one last look at this horrifying creature before, before we right. leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it does imply that there is going to be like a lasting uh, friendship between the aliens and the kids, and that's right. that's neat, you know. Yeah, that's nice. I wish the second half of this movie was better, um, but it is just like this monument to like what could have been kind of thing. Uh, are Are you glad yeah. that I made you watch this movie for the podcast, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think it's uh, it wasn't particularly great, but that first forty five minutes. Well, I mean, that first forty five minutes is pretty great. Yeah, uh, actually. Yeah, it is fun, and it's it's cool to see a uh, you know lesser known uh, Joe Dante flick, I guess. Uh, so another one, uh, another another filmmaker, like I said, that I need to see more of his uh, his stuff. Yeah, when I when I realized like when we were talking about it last episode, and I realized you hadn't seen Matinee, I was like, oh man, Matinee is way better. I should have made him watch that. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Matinee is incredible, like one of my top five Joe Dante movies for sure. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm probably not going to use that for the next Mike makes Mike watch. Cause I want to mix it up. I don't want to just do a Joe Dante movie again, but I highly yeah. recommend that you just watch matinee on your own. There is a shout factory Blu-ray of it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a blind buy right there. It's, it's well worth I it. I did see, uh, actually I own the shout factory Blu-ray, which also has, uh, I believe like the 30 minute version of Mant as like a bonus feature. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I saw um, a couple of days after we uh, recorded our episode, I saw uh, Just the Discs uh, podcast tweeting about, you know, he, he Brian Sauer has been doing like Blu-ray of the day kind of thing. Yeah. And he tweeted a picture of he'd matinee it was his Blu-ray of the day. And I saw he'd post the he posts the back cover also. Uh, and on the special features, it lists like, oh, man, the complete version or something like that. Right. And I was like, wait a second. Mike said that this was very like the whole thing with the story with Joe Dante <laughs> tweeting at you saying it's it's find the length it is and i was like wait is there a feature yeah. length version of man what is this <laughs> yeah it's not feature length it's just the uh like the clips they did sh- i think they shot like a half hour of footage or something like that for man uh and you <laughs> That's know amazing. and some of it's in the movie like you see clips of the movie and stuff but it's like you know they they shot like a whole thing uh so that's as yeah. it's available as a special feature on the blu-ray which is pretty cool but all right so yeah that's fans of the paradise and explorers the movies that we each made each other watch and i think uh both successful we both liked them so that's good yeah uh, i mean explorers again it's <laughs> i'm sorry for the back half of that movie um but i think it generated a good discussion out of it and that's the that's the really the important thing if you're watching movies for a podcast right mike yeah explorers is fun as a kind of uh archaeological dig into 1985 yeah. like children's sci-fi adventure studio movies uh, or whatever you want to call that sure. genre yeah it's fun and it's joe dante Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix, and their film debuts. Good good stuff. Exactly. And that first half is legitimately great. And the second half is really fascinating to watch just to see like the train wreck unfolds kind of thing. Right. Uh, so it does have that going yeah. forward too. Uh, but all right. So I think that about wraps things up this week from Mike Makes Mike Watch, another edition of our quarantine bonus episodes. Uh, thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I forgot to ask you, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thanks for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decree Show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the Review Zoo, a podcast about all kinds of geek news and stuff. So for our next episode, we'll, we'll, we'll just be doing some discussions. And then following that, I think another one of our let's rank uh editions are actually 
I'm, I'm like counting out the weeks a little bit. Uh, I, I, I think I had pitched us doing like another, like a full episode of the show again, doing Artemis Fowl, uh, which would be coming out on Disney plus. Uh-huh. What I did not realize is that Artemis Fowl comes out on the same day as the new Spike Lee joint to five bloods, uh, which wow. is going to be released on Netflix. Uh, and that is a movie that I want to watch way more. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm thinking like maybe in two weeks when that movie comes out, we can actually like review that for the podcast and bring it back to like, Hey, what's it's, it's like before quarantine time. So we can do a full episode of the show again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so we'll see what happens from there. But uh, I've heard Defi- like, I haven't heard, I haven't, I've not watched the trailer for Defy bloods yet. Um, but I'm very excited to, uh, to watch that movie. I've heard, I've heard really good things, uh, from what, I, from, just kind of the ether from like what's going around Twitter and stuff. <laughs> it looks really cool from the buzz. Exactly. Uh, all right. So, but next week will just be some normal discussions. In the meantime, our Jeff Goldblum podcast is weekly. We just released our episode on the legend of sleepy hollow, uh, the TV movie from 1980. And on the next one, we're talking Jeff Goldblum's role in the 1981 Canadian sci-fi thriller threshold, also starring Donald Sutherland, uh, which is just a series of words that I very much enjoy hearing uh, put together in a sentence. So, <laughs> <laughs> big big fan of that sentence. Yeah, pretty excited about that one. And I believe the full movie is available on YouTube if people want to go check that out. And that's the end of this week's episode of Michael Michael and the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs>